Good morning. It's good to see you all. Uh, most of us learn how to be Christians by peeking over the shoulder of, of someone else. It's kind of how we mature in our, in our faith. It's how we really hear about the gospel for the first time and how we are discipled is through other people. Uh, most of the time, these are people that we know, uh, that we have some kind of relationship with. Maybe it's a, a parent or uh, a grandparent, some other sibling. Uh, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a, a Sunday school teacher, maybe it's a, a youth leader, um, a pastor. But it can also be people that we don't have a relationship with. These could be uh, authors, uh, people that we really connect to, uh, or maybe figures throughout history that have shaped our faith in significant ways. I, I have both. I have parents that I can think of. I have um, a youth leader that I could think of that, that, that really shaped my faith, a professor in seminary, but I also have these kind of uh, holy strangers to me. Uh, there's a professor at the University of Notre Dame that has no idea I exist, but who radically changed my life. Sometimes pastors will say something like, um, you know, books don't really change, change people, like what really changes an experience or some kind of practice. Well, like a practice is reading a book, and uh, that... That really changed my life. Uh, uh, I read it about 12 years ago. Without that book, I, I probably wouldn't be a Presbyterian pastor, which is either good or bad for you. You decide um, which, which of those it is. But as Christians, uh, we belong to one continuing um, living communion of saints. And so today we celebrate All Saints Sunday. And we do this every year as a part of our church calendar to recognize, to honor, to remember, and to give thanks to God for those ordinary men and women uh, throughout, our, uh, throughout history, people that we've known and people who maybe we haven't known, but who have really significantly shaped our, our faith. And reminded that God was with the faithful of the past, we are, we are reassured today that God is also with us as well, guiding all of us uh, and all of creation really toward God's end in the fullness of time. We've been uh, in Paul's letter to the Galatians for the past few weeks and uh, kind of examining the fruit of the Spirit there. And it's a really fitting day for us uh, to examine this, this fruit of faithfulness. Uh, so I invite you to, to listen this morning for the word of the Lord from Galatians 5. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. I'm going to return to the verse 1 in a little bit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Holy God, be gracious to us this morning as we listen to a word that can only come from you. We make this prayer in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. Amen. What comes to your mind when you think about that word or when you hear that word faithfulness? Maybe it's a, maybe it's a person uh, that you know. Maybe it's a particular story where faithfulness uh, was kind of the hero of that story. Maybe it's God. Maybe you think about God who has been faithful to you. I confess I'm not really all that pious when I think about that, that word. Uh, my mind turns to baseball. 
specifically to the 1995 Seattle Mariners. Um, as many of you know, I grew up in the, the great state of, of Washington, and the Mariners were my team growing up. Uh, the first baseball game I ever attended live was in the Kingdom, and I got to see Ken Griffey Jr. and Ken Griffey Sr. play next to each other in the outfield, which was, which was a pretty special moment. Like, how could I not be a fan um, for the rest of my life? Uh, 1995, though, was a pretty, a pretty good year for the Mariners. Like, not that great. Like, we didn't win the series or anything. Uh, but it was still a pretty, a pretty good year. Uh, that that uh, I can still kind of recite the, the, the batting order. I can give you the starting lineup in the, in the outfield. Uh, it's just kind of uh, very vivid in my memory. I was uh, 11 years old at the time. And my dad took me uh, to what I remember to be a really important game against the New York Yankees. He and I are still arguing about whether or not it was a playoff game. I'm pretty sure it was uh, because we beat the, uh, the Yankees in the ALDS that year. Um, we hated the Yankees. <laughs> I didn't know why then. I know now why. <laughs> uh, we're all agreed on that point, I hope, this morning. Um, Anyways, the Yankees went up early because they were good. And uh, as I remember it, we were down by like, I don't know, three or four runs. Like, not crazy, but like we were, we were, we were losing pretty late in the game, eighth or ninth inning. And um, my dad, I think he was just convinced that the game was over. And uh, so, like, we left early, left the game early. And uh, I called my dad this week because I was trying to figure out, like, I want to make sure that my memory is right about this and tell a, a truthful story. And I asked him, like, uh, you know, like, why, why did we leave that game early? And he said, oh, it's simple. It's the same reason anyone leaves any game early, traffic. Um, <laughs> some of you can relate to that. Some of you are, have a wound of your own about traffic and baseball games. Um, but on our way home, we were listening to the radio, right? And uh, what happened? The, the Mariners came back, and Griffey ended up making this amazing catch at the wall to catch Bernie Williams, uh, and I had to hear it on the radio. And uh, they went into extra innings, and the Mariners won. They won the game. And if you look at the, 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 the playoff series that we played, like, there is a game that, that is like this story. That's why I think it's a playoff game. Uh, but to this day, I cannot bring myself to leave like any game early. Like I will be at the Round Rock Express 108 degrees we are staying. Like, we do not leave games. That is a rule in my family. Um, but when I talked to my dad this week, the, he, here's what he said. He said, well, obviously, like, we didn't know it was going to go that way. It's like, fair enough, Dad. And then, uh, and then he paused himself, a, a preacher, for over 30 years and said, you're going to make me look bad, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Dad. I think you made yourself look bad, actually. Um, but I've been thinking about that. I've been thinking about what he said about, well, obviously we didn't know it was going to go that way as it relates to faithfulness. You know, one of the common ways that we think about faithfulness, one of the common synonyms that we use for faithfulness is loyalty. But that's not really what Paul has in mind here when he uses this word. In fact, the word that he uses in this text is not the word that we might translate faithfulness. It's just the word he uses for faith. The belief in things unseen. But believing in things that you can't see is impossibly hard most of the time. And most of the time this is true, right? This is why it makes it so easy to jet out of a game in the eighth inning to beat Seattle traffic in 1995. 
It's why it's so easy for many of us to turn our attention from the things that we can't see to the things we can see, perhaps the things that we can even control. Right? Some, uh, uh, we turn our attention to ourselves, maybe to some vague sense of self-improvement or progress. I hear a lot about um, how modern people are less religious than ever before. This is something that, like, when I was in seminary, everyone was super worried about. Uh, there's, like, a new op-ed or a new Pew study every week kind of giving us the number by number of the decline in faith. Some of you have seen it, right? We're told over and over again that um, modern people like you and me are trading in our faith for reason, for kind of sophistication or enlightenment. Maybe. Maybe some of that is happening. Uh, but I read a book this summer. Uh, there I go again, reading a book, uh, by a guy named Dave Zoll. And he wrote this book entitled Seculosity. It's a, a, a word that he created from the word secular and religiosity. And the point that he's making in this book is that we're not less religious than anyone else in history. What we've done is we've taken our religious energy and we've just turned it to other objects other than God. Those objects being our work, uh, technology, um, parenting, um, to health or fitness. Uh, I've been running a lot for like the last six weeks and I've got an app that kind of tracks my progress, my, uh, like how long I've run, how fast I've, I'm, I'm running. And yesterday as I finished a run, this voice comes on that I can't figure out how to shut off. Um, uh, said like, great job, you are one run away from your best self. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Hear me when I say I am, I am much further away from my best self than that, um, whatever that is. But we live in an era of kind of self-optimization and self-improvement, right? And we turn our religious energy to that kind of improvement. How about politics for a place for us to put our religious language? Take something like climate change, for instance. The language that we use around climate change really doesn't have much to do with science. It's a lot to do with religious language. Right? You often hear people saying, do you believe in climate change? That's religious language, right? That's not, that's not scientific. We don't get language of belief from science. We get it from religion. So we're taking all of our religious energy, we're putting it to other places, into other objects. But here's the thing about these other objects. None of them contain the actual thing that we need. None of them have the thing that can actually redeem us, can save us. None of them can give us any kind of grace or mercy. And so what happens is we take this energy we have, we put it towards these objects, and they become burdens on us. You're one run away from your best self. Like, try living with that pressure the next time you go out for a run. Right? <laughs> Someone out there knows. Um, what's, what's that like? They become powerful burdens to us. They more often accuse than accept us. I want you to keep that in mind as we read this verse from the first part of the chapter that precedes uh, everything that's kind of come over the last few weeks. He says in verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Therefore stand firm and do, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. The people that Paul is writing to are struggling with uh, a burden of their own. They're living under an accusation of their own. They're anxious to keep the law. This law is a means of kind of justifying themselves, showing that they are 
kind of good and capable people. And it, and it doesn't mean um, that the law is a bad thing. It's just that the law can't deliver this kind of acceptance that they're looking for. Right? The law is not a bad thing. It's just its purpose was to reveal our basic human tendency to like reach for anything we can to prove ourselves worthy of acceptance. And into this reality, Paul assures them that since they've already been accepted by Christ, they can kind of give up that relentless search for acceptance from these other things, particularly the law. Paul knows something else. He knows the degree to which we are able to realize this freedom, the degree to which we're, li- we're able to live according to this freedom, is dependent on another kind of theme that runs throughout this letter to the Galatians. And that thread is, uh, theme is community. Like, we cannot live freely into the narrative of God's grace if we don't have other people to remind us of it. We will either use our freedom as, a, uh, as an occasion for self-indulgence, and then we will excuse our behavior. But I think more than that, more, more common than that, is that many of us fail to believe that we are worthy of acceptance, like, at all. There's a, a story I heard recently from a colleague that I really love. It's about a kind of big, burly, beer-drinking uh, Lutheran pastor named Jim. And Jim needed to go, he's in Minneapolis, and he needed to go to the other side of the country for a conference, so he gets on his plane, and he sits down next to this guy uh, in his row, and um, forgot to lie when the guy asked him, like, what do you do? So he, got, he had to tell him he was a preacher, and uh, to which the, the man in his row said, well, I'm, I'm not a believer. Uh, and I think it was Thomas a few weeks ago mentioned, like, there's only a few ways these conversations go with clergy such as myself. Uh, you know, like, usually when I say I'm a pastor and they say I'm not a believer, what follows next is the reasons why they don't believe, which is fine. Like, I love to argue. Ask anyone. Um, so usually that works fine for me. Uh, but in this instance, with Jim and the guy on his airplane, what followed wasn't a list of reasons why he didn't believe. What followed was more of a confession. This man was, uh, had been in the Vietnam War, and for most of his life he had been carrying all of the things that he had seen, all of the things that he had done and been a part of in that war. And as the plane kind of flew from one side of the country to the next, he just spilled his entire story to Jim. And when he finished the story or telling, telling his life story to Jim, Jim said, uh, have you confessed all of the sins that have been burdening you? And the, the man was kind of surprised and taken back. Confess, I, I haven't confessed anything to you. And Jim said, you've been confessing your sins to me like this entire flight. And uh, as a Lutheran pastor, I'm commanded by Jesus that whenever I hear a confession like this, I've got to hand over the goods, man. I've got to speak a particular word of grace to you. So if there's anything else you'd like to throw in here, now's the time. And, uh, you know, visibly annoyed, Jim says, the, the man said, no, that's, that's it. And then added again, you know, I'm not a believer. I don't have any faith in me. And as Jim tells it, he, he stood up over the man, unbuckled his seatbelt, stood over the man, and he said, that's okay, brother. Jesus tells me that it's what's inside of you that's wrong with the world anyway. I'm going to speak faith into you. And from there, he proceeded to offer the absolution. In Jesus Christ and on his authority, I declare the entirety of your, your sins forgiven by Christ. Understandably, a little annoyed and a little awkward, you know, the guy's like, you can't do that. And Jim, who, like, I really think I would get along with, um, says, I can, and I just did, and I'm going to do it again. And he, he says it again. And Jim said that he was really surprised. 
I don't know how often Jim does this, but he was really surprised by the response. The man started to, uh, started to cry. And then his crying turned into a super ugly form of laughter. And he kind of laughed all the way as their plane was making its way to the gate. And as they were making their way from the plane, as Jim and this man were kind of getting their luggage and getting ready to leave, Jim said, he gave him his card and he said, you're likely not going to remember that your sins are forgiven tomorrow. You're going to forget. And when you do, I hope that you give me a call so that I can remind you. And I hope that you call me whenever that happens so that I can continue to remind you until you really trust and believe it. The great Jewish theologian Abraham Joshua Heschel said once that faith uh, is faithfulness actually to a time when we once had faith. Faith is faithfulness to a time when maybe we once had faith. And um, I think that uh, it's likely that we have all had moments, maybe if we're lucky, a single moment where the grace of God has been... um, We've been aware of the grace of God in our lives. Maybe just that single moment where our faith was particularly alive and strong, and then we spend the rest of our lives trying to remember to be true to that moment or to those moments. Faith is faithfulness to the time maybe when we had, when we had faith. I really like this definition because my hunch is that uh, you are likely to forget tomorrow that your sins are forgiven. And then the next day after that, you're likely to forget. That's how the law works, Paul tells us. It's constantly accusing us that we are not enough. It's a reminder of what we lack. And so we need reminders of the contrary. We need reminders of grace. So on this All Saints Sunday, my question to you is like, who's reminding you of God's grace in your life? Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a loved one, a spouse, maybe it's some holy stranger in your life. Maybe it's the list of names that you received when you came in this morning of saints who have been a part of this community who have died, but who have shaped our faith in significant ways. If you're sitting there right now and, and your mind's kind of drawing a blank this morning, who, uh, who might be a reminder to you? My invitation for you is to just look around this room. Every person here gathered is an individual story, some expression of God's grace in the flesh. So if you need reminding, look around you. The other part to this is just as we need reminders of God's grace, each of us serve as a reminder maybe to someone else. I mean, truthfully, week after week, all of you remind me. I'm blown away by the fact people still come to, to church and worship God. I really am. I, I think it's one of the greatest things that happens every single week. Like, you, you all just come. Like, we don't invite you every week, but you just keep coming to church. Like, that's an amazing thing that the communion of saints does every single week. They show up, and they offer their worship. It's where uh, the great saint Stephen Colbert says that... Um, <laughs> Yeah, that one, that one. Um, says that, that, that uh, it's the one day a week maybe where our praise finds its true and final object. The earliest creed that the church has 
was not created during a council like most of the other creeds. It was not put together by a bunch of theologians who were arguing about, you know, homoousios, which you don't want to go there. Um, they weren't trying to create a, a point of theology. The first creed the church has in its possession was put together by a community of people, by a community of people who are trying to speak faith into one another about their shared experience of God's grace in the risen Christ. The earliest creed we have is the Apostles' Creed. And on this All Saints Sunday, I thought it would be a very fitting response before we eat at this table to stand and to recite this creed together, to unite us to the saints stretching backward and to the saints stretching forward, for us to maybe take this opportunity to speak faith into one another this morning. So let's stand together. The words will be on the screen. And let's say the Apostles' Creed together as an act of faith this morning. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. There's a line in the song that we're about to sing as we take communion this morning. The line goes like this. Someday we will gather in the grand reunion. I love that line. Someday we will gather in the grand reunion. Someday we are going to gather with all of the saints who have come before us when Christ puts all things right. And, um, and we can hope for that day because of what Christ has already done for us on our behalf. And that is kind of the, the subject of what we celebrate at this table. We remember and we celebrate God in Christ, giving himself for us on the cross. So I invite you to, this morning um, to come to the table of grace. It's a visible reminder, reminder uh, to us that God continues to want our company. God wants to commune with us. Uh, and with one another. And at this table, not only do we um, commune with God, we commune with each other here in this room. We let this, this, this cup and this bread unite us together. And it also unites us to all Christians everywhere, in all time, who have received what is on offer here this morning. On the night that our Lord um, was betrayed, he took bread, as I do now, and he broke it, and he gave it to his friends, those who uh, he was sharing a meal with. And he said, this, uh, this bread, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat, and whenever you do it, remember me. And in the same manner, he took the cup, and he gave it to them, saying, this cup is the new covenant. Sealed in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, remember me. 
And friends, when we come to this table, when we eat of this bread, when we drink of this cup, we do remember Christ. We do remember the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. But we also do something else. We proclaim. We proclaim that, 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 that sacrifice, the saving death of our Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again to make all things right. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Amen. I invite the servers to come forward. If you haven't taken communion here before, uh, you'll come. We'll have different people serving. If you could just take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and take it all at once and then return to your seat, uh, that'll be great. I will have gluten-free up here if that's what you need. I believe there will be servers around the back of the room and in the front of the room. 